I'm Mike Vardy. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy. 
And this week on the show, Lee Carraher joins me. She is the founder of Double Forte, which is a communication firm that's designed to work with a whole bunch of good things. People that do good work, good companies, by providing the best results and service in the business. She is a communication strategist and she is the author of Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making a Work at Work. We had a great conversation talking about productivity, which is what we do on this show, but also how it relates to millennials and how millennials uh, deal with things a little bit differently and how to deal with the millennials that deal with it differently. There's a lot to get into during this episode, so we're just going to dive right in. Here's my conversation with Lee Kara here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Lee Carraher to the Productivityist Podcast. Lee, thanks for joining me this week. So great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, you know, one of the, we were just talking before we got on the the show, we were talking about, you know, books and we're both working on books right now. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, and we're recording this just to give a sense. We're recording this like well in advance because we're both super proactive people. We want to make sure that we get this stuff taken care of. I want to, for those of you, People in the audience that aren't familiar with your your work, Lee, why don't you share, you know, who you are, what you do, and what, you know, wh- where you're where you're focusing your energy and your time to make a large impact right now? Sure. So, um, my name is Lee, and that's the first piece, right? <laughs> uh, I'm the CEO and founder of a public relations and digital marketing firm. We're based in San Francisco. We have offices in New York and Boston, and we do, you know, we focus on doing um, great work for great companies who make a good difference. So we're just very focused on being a force for good in the category that we're in. Where I focus my time, of course, is running the business. Um, so a lot of time with clients on strategy, but mostly I'm working on the business. And, um, you know, as an entrepreneur and CEO, you know, that is working with intergenerational um, people, meaning, you know, how do you motivate this new generation of, um, of employee and all that kind of stuff on leadership and management and development and thinking future, uh, which I think is my job, my job is to think future for the company. Um, where I spend my energy sort of around that is I've written a book about how to work with millennials because um, so many people are struggling with it and we struggled so much with it. And I uh, just wanted to share how we cracked that code um, in a productive way. And uh, my next book, which you mentioned I'm writing on is, will come out next year um, is about it's about how to make sure that you don't just have people become dead to you when they leave you and how you can have them come back to you in many shapes and forms and um, and how really what we need to be thinking about as leaders and company owners and all that kind of stuff is never letting someone die on the vine and expanding our footprint by creating lifetime allegiance from employees no matter if they're employed for you or not. And that's where I spend my time in, um, in writing and blogging and speaking and workshops. How, how important, and this is, I think this ties into both the book you, you've written, uh, Millennials and Management, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes and, and the new book, mm-hmm. future proofing seems to be a big thing for you. Very much so. What, what, how do you, how do you, you know, how, how can you help people, you know, through, I mean, obviously reading the book, but how can you help people not just, and, and I mean, we're talking everybody from the boomers all the way down to millennials, like put themselves in a position to future proof, because I don't think people are so focused on the let's get through today that yeah. they don't think about the next, you know, beyond yeah. that. I think what's really interesting, particularly for 
you know, so first of all, let's think about the dynamics. You know, boomers who this year are 52 to 69, you know, most of those people are working. You know, and, and I'll guess it's true people are retiring every day, but not as many as we thought. No, no, no. <laughs> right? Not as many as we thought. And most of us, and I'm a boomer, I'm the last year of boomer, uh, most of us are have to, we, we anticipate having to work much longer than we thought we would have to even in 2007, right? Right. Um, and in 2008, really changed the entire dynamic of uh of what's going on in the workplace. Um, you know, we all, many of us lost just so much money in 2008, 2009, our nest eggs. And if you were 68, that's a whole different equation than when you're 52, right? Mm-hmm. So that has really created an entire different, um, and what happened is we found out that we were not employable. Well, I was employable, had a company, but we've, so many people found out they weren't employable and they had not kept themselves relevant. So future proofing for me is about how do we make sure each of us is relevant to right now and to sort of the obviously the future. So for because we are have to be in charge of our own careers and our own past. We can we know we know we cannot count on a company to hold us. And even if you're a company owner and you want to um, if you're independent, you know, if you don't have the revenue, you can't pay people. And if you're publicly traded, you know, really the shift happens in, it happened around 1990 when people started you – know, big companies were laying people off not because they weren't hitting their goals but for margin on the street, right? Right. So no, uh, and particularly millennials know this really well. Their parents have told them, do not count on a company. Make sure that you're crafting your own career, you're, you know, and don't stay anywhere too long. You'll be stale and all that kind of stuff. So future future for me is, you know, how do we make sure that everyone's current has the skill set so they have options? Because um, we can't count on anybody but ourselves to create those options for us. Now, with millennials, the one thing that I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so uh-huh. I'm, I'm I'm right, and, and you know, I mean, it's you're squeezing the middle. I'm it's right in the yeah. Generation. We're we're kind of like, what did you do? And then yes. <laughs> and they're it like, what, what are we going to do for these guys? So we're kind of yeah. like in the middle, and we're the low, we're the least populous, right? Correct. Um, almost a half, yeah. Yeah, and millennials now, I believe, make up most of the workforce at this point. Isn't that correct? Uh, not exact. Not not, for, not quite. Yet, not yet. Close. It's close. I um, mean, it's the percentage, right? So, right, right. So, what's the what is what do you find is the primary difference between working with, say, a Gen Xer versus millennials in terms of you know how they approach uh, yeah. work? Well, there's, I think, a dramatic difference. So, uh, like you said, Gen Xers are um, least populous, almost a fully a half of the population of boomers or or millennials, right? So, eight, 79 million, 42 million, 80 million, right? So, um, and a lot of single children in Gen Xers and a lot of latchkey kids who, you know, who, both parents were working when they were young and they were coming home and getting yeah, home. I, that's why I'm so good with uh, Say, 80s pop culture. And stuff. Right, which, exactly, right? Well, self-starters, very self-sufficient, learned how to make their own meals, unlike their boomer parents because, you know, the boomer came up, you know, I was born in 64, so anyone was born before me, you know, there was a different model at home. For mm-hmm. then, right? Yep. Then for the Gen Xers. Millennials, so they're very self-reliant. Um, and, um, you know, I've managed a lot of Gen Xers as well early in their careers, um, too, where I could say, you know, you're not living up to your potential. And that would actually have had a huge impact on that person. That person was like, oh, no, what do you mean I'm not living up to my potential? You know, this is shoddy work, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you use that same term, you're not living up to your potential with most millennials, it will not have an impact. 
Millennials are much more of a group dynamic. They care about the group. They care about not letting the group down. And this is entire, this is the antithesis of, of Gen Xers who may not have had a group, right? Right. So that one difference on motivation uh, makes a big difference in the workplace, right? Um, in the, uh, millennials get a really bad rap, I think. Of, you know, they're the me generation, and that is not my experience at all. My experience is that they're a we generation. And um, when I flipped my frame of reference on talking with millennials about, you know, if their work wasn't really good enough um, from themselves to how they let the team down, man, that made a huge difference. Not wow. that it would make a difference with the Gen Xers, because it also does, but if focusing on the self from another person's point of view seems not to matter to the millennial generation if they're not your parents. In in my experience, talking to a few other people, especially who uh, I was talking to, um, Derek Flansreich of, of Greatest, yeah. and and he talks about like one of the things that millennials really value is freedom above all. Is is that I mean, is that kind of you have to really take that into account? I would imagine when you're working yeah. with them because. Um, you know, they're the types that first off, a they know, like you said earlier, that focusing like don't 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 figure on having the same job for your entire life because yeah. you're just not going to. So how do you play into that? Like how how do you tackle yeah. this and how do you teach people to say okay, let's make sure that we let them feel that they they've got the freedom within the role that they have, but also yeah. that we give them the stability that frankly people. That, I, that they, they, they crave, that they, they crave. need, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's two pieces, right? So there's a lot of dichotomy there. Don't tell me what to do. How am I doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Don't tell me what to do. How am I doing? Yeah. So, which is maddening. It's maddening for those of us who are like, just do what I tell you to do, right? <laughs> um, so how I've um, approached this um, and how it's been successful for my company is to say, I know you're going to have you're going to have great ideas on how, on how to improve this. I know you are, right? But I need you to do it my way first and then improve it. Mm-hmm. Because one, it says, I value that you're going to have something new and you're going to bring something to the table. And that's half the battle, right? Because um, millennials, you know, there's a very flat world to them. They've been one click away from almost everybody their entire life that they could actually write a sentence, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not hierarchical at all. And they, you know, they're used to having an impact just in it's just social. Just think about social media and how the impact you can have. So what, how we approach it now is, um, please, I know you're going to have to value that they're going to have input and to know and to ask for their input, but to ask for it in a structured way. And so how we do this is, you know, here's the project. Here's your role in the project. Here who else is counting on you in the project because no one's really alone, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the desired outcome is this. I know you're going to have lots of ideas on how to get there. My request to you is to do it my way first, and then we're going to talk about how to improve it because I really want to learn from you on how to improve it, but I need to know that you know all the dependencies, which you may not even see, right? Because a new person may not see that you know, Joe in the corner actually needs to see something because you've got to tick a box for some compliance issue. Right. And that just, just putting people at ease that I know you have value, I know you're going to have great ideas, um, we're going to get to those, I promise. Um, and some structure around that really um, says, you know, that person, and what I've heard feedback from the people where we, we do that with, and then we do it with everybody regardless of age, is I can take a breath now. I know I don't have to prove myself like right this second, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that you're going to teach me stuff. I know that there's going to be value there. Um, it's when we just don't even listen and just say do it my way or don't even give any guidance, 
when we give no guidance. So this is what we're trying to get to. Let me know how it goes. That's like the worst thing you can possibly do, particularly to a new hire. Right. Because you have to give them no structure. And just Googling it is not enough. Just mm. Googling it helps people do a bad job, not because they want to, just because they have no reference. Well, and, and, it's, and you Google it, and now all of a sudden they've got too much information to go Way through. too much information. So that, that one step of saying, I know you're going to have great ideas. Uh, please do it my way first, and then, we're, you know, then we'll talk about how to improve it seems to um, be very effective uh, where we've employed it. Nuance seems to be a big part of this whole thing. Huge. Nuance is huge. And, you know, it's so interesting because nuance is hard, right? Email mm-hmm. is hard to get the nuance on. Texting, that's why emojis, I think, are so interesting and problematic, right? Because one person will, in, in, uh, you know, will uh, interpret an emoji one way and another, another way, right? Right. But um, emojis are actually more useful than... Um, punctuation frankly to millennials yes uh whereas punctuation is more useful to boomers than the emoji i like both i'm a huge punctuation i mean i work in pr right so punctuation is huge for mm-hmm. me i find myself you know editing punctuation on text which is probably not useful time but um just figuring out that nuance which um really requires the face-to-face and it can be video but there's so much that you deliver in how you present. Um, and misinterpretation um, is, is – it's a ripe situation for misinterpretation with texting, you know, uh, messaging and all that kind of stuff. Well, it, again, this goes back to the whole idea that millennials are – I've been told that there's no such thing as like a long-lasting job yeah, necessarily. Exactly. So if they misinterpret something, they could be more overly sensitive to that, Absolutely. right? Well, right, right. And then I think that the piece – you know, my – you know, when I talk to millennials, which I do a lot, obviously, it's not that they want to job hop. It's just that they feel people who what we would consider job hopping, like they just don't feel like anyone's got their back, that they're not invested. Mm-hmm. So and uh, particularly a Gen Xer and a millennial may just really clash on this. Of course, I'm invested. Let me know how it went. Yep. That's, that's me telling you how invested I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different from a millennial perspective. So the first question a millennial, a millennial might ask in an in a interview is. What's, who's my mentor going to be, mm-hmm. and how many volunteer days do I get? Like, totally opposite points of view, right? Yes, totally, totally. <laughs> totally it, different points of view. But the mentorship piece, to know that someone's invested in me, is paramount. It's paramount uh, for the millennial. Now, uh, it's interesting. I, I think about my my journey as a, as a Gen X with my job. I, mean, I was at Costco for almost 12 years, which is a long right. time. But yep. then, but then it, I had a couple of short stints at other jobs, but none of them were less than a year. None of them were less than a year. Yeah. And then now I've been doing this for a decade. So it's like, it's almost as if the, the, and this is just from my experience, you could probably speak to it better than I could, but I mean, you know, get boomers stayed at a job for an ex- as long as, I mean, cause that, and Seth yep. Godin talks about this too, you know, the idea yep. that that's what you had and you, you've got vacation. That's what was valued and, and all the yep. time you put in. And then I find, I think Gen Xers find that they, they have a couple more careers, but they stay in those a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the millennial set, which again, they're, they're, and I think startup culture does a lot of this too, yes. because you're reinventing and there's constant pivoting. Like, Three years at a job seems like an extended period of time for, for people. Yeah. Well, in San Francisco, where I my business is headquartered, San Francisco, um, the average tenure for someone under 30 is something like two years. Yeah. Average tenure under 24, 25, 26 is 13 months. 
right? Um, and our approach on this is, okay, if someone, I, I assume someone coming into my company is not going to want to stay more than two years. Wow. How can I get them to stay for three or four? Success is going to be, you know, average plus. If I can get someone to stay for three years, then I win. Right. right? I win. They win. I win. Um, and we're very much focused on that. If we assume someone's going to leave us fast, then we can structure. The, and this is my, what my second book is really about. We assume people are going to leave fast. So a lot of companies, a lot of managers are not bothering to invest in those people, which then propagates the, you know, the truth, which is they leave. But if we assume they're going to leave fast, then you, know, you need to double down on the training fast so you make as, them as useful as possible. The more useful people are, the longer they want to stay. That's going to have a direct impact on productivity overall. Productivity and productivity obviously leads to profitability. Right. So the... Um, and so what we found, so what we found, the, the reason I wrote this book was because of our, our epic failure at doing, my last book, doing epic failure, right? We, we hired six millennials within two months of each other, and they all were gone within three months. And I, in my career, I mean, I've managed huge teams, 700, 600, 800 people um, in different companies, never had 100% failure in ever in recruiting. I was known for being a great recruiter and retainer and people didn't want to leave the companies that I was leading or the groups that I was leading. And here six came in, six went out within three months of each other to total failure. And when um, I looked at it, it was, wow, that is a, it's just a different group. Yep. So how, you know, so you have to, what shift do you have to make so that even if it's tough, you get them to keep longer. So that was, you know, that's what I, really delved into it and figured, you know, figured out how to flip things around. And the, the reality I found is that when um, companies and groups and teams uh, work to help millennials thrive, everybody benefits. But if you don't do it, then you won't keep them. And then all you're doing is churning and just driving profit out of your day. Right, right. How important is simplification in this whole process? Simplification of what? Just in general, like simplifying processes, simplifying yeah. the, I mean, making it so that, because again, while millennials, I mean, I think that if you can make it as inclusive as possible, I would imagine, then yes. that way you're not, you know, like, so I've dealt with a client who's, you know, trying to, who deals with hiring. And, and, you know, rather than have different sets of parameters, like how far they're going to search outside of, let's say, their city or their state or or wherever, like if you can create an overarching simplicity across your organization or across, you know, like that's got to play a huge role in in, in, because each each of those groups, you know, again, boomers, millennials and and, and Gen Xers are all going to deal with that in their own way. But but because it's simple, they can wrap their head around it, I would imagine. Yeah. And I think simplicity um, simplicity is repeatable, mm-hmm. right? Simplicity, you can actually tell the story on, you know, simple stories are the best ones to tell. If, you know, long story long, you know, no one wants yep. to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah. But if you can tell, you know, sort of like Game of Thrones, right? I really cannot tell. I mean, I'm so enthralled with Game of Thrones, but I actually haven't started watching any of the series this this um, season because I can't invest myself in it yet. Yep. Because it's just too much, too complicated to tell. But, you know, Big Bang Theory, I could tell you that in two seconds, right? Because it's a simple story. So the simpler it is, the more rememberable it is. The more rememberable it is, the more propagation it is. And um, 
if everybody can, you know, if you go around the, we had this ex- happen, I guess, um, a year and a half ago where, you know, it was a sort of a new, after we figured it, you know, a new crop of people we had, uh, we were very excited about people we brought on, but we weren't doing a good job of, um, making sure everyone understood our values, how we do things, all that kind of stuff. So I did this simple survey to my staff half of whom have been there more than six years. Like, and I just asked, what are our values? How would you know if someone did this and this? And oh my God, it was terrible. So I realized we had to go back to making it simple so people could say it out loud, right? Mm-hmm. What came out of that process is, um, you know, uh, superhero, we want to be, we want to be the ninjas, right? right. Yeah. So from the ninjas, it was like, what does ninja mean? Well, uh, some people interpreted as superheroes. So now we have this, um, t-shirt that we all wear every once in a while. That is, you know, us as superheroes. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder of, okay, so this is what ninjas do. <laughs> this is what ninjas do. Um, and the more, every time you have to look at a checklist, you've lost half the people. Yeah. You know, so simpler is rememberable. Rememberable is propagatable. And if you think about it that way, you're going to get a lot more, a lot less friction in your day and a lot more compliance. Well, and again, that gets back to interpretation. A checklist can easily be, I mean, this is where when we get into productivity and and, and efficiency, it's like, you know, I mean, objective versus subjective. The objective of the team is to do this. How we get there, what everybody brings to the table is very subjective, right? So um, that's why I don't necessarily like it when, um, when a complicated approach so framework like let's say a a complicated productivity approach is brought into the organization or a complicated tool which is even worse right right. and they're said okay you have to use this it becomes well they spend more time with the tool than they do with what the tool is meant to do exactly SharePoint. (laughs) yeah exactly or project right Uh, oh my god (laughs) but but let's talk about one of those tools which is emails and you've got a post that that i i i i love this because you and i speak the same language when it comes to this when it comes to after hours email and of course oh yeah you know france has passed a law like how bad i saw that oh my god how bad is it i mean that's first off being canadian i'm like well that's kind of that's the kind of thing we would do Uh, but i would have in the the u.s you guys be like that's so un-american right like how dare you infringe Japan. But why, when it gets so bad that a government has to say it's against the law yeah. to, to not to respond, but to persecute somebody who doesn't respond. That's that's the I mean, of course, the headline says it's against the law to do email, but that's not really what it is, is it is exactly. if the employer sends it and you don't respond. The employer can't do anything about it. it You've been. You're a big believer in again, that's a boundary thing. And, yes. and, and, and I think that how do you think? How do you help people set boundaries that are reasonable? Yeah. And because, again, I think there's so much bleed. Uh, work-life balance, I think, has been thrown oh, out the yeah. window. It's work-life integration. So how do you exactly. create those boundaries around that? Yeah. So here's what we do because everybody we work with has something else going on in their lives, right? Sure. And um, that, that something else may have to happen during the regular course of the nine-to-five what people might call the regular day, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and there's no, and for the first thing I tell all parents is to make sure you're reading your school emails during the day. Otherwise, you get stuck with the bad, you know, the time-consuming things all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So at, when my kids were in um, uh, elementary and middle school, I was famous for always signing up for brownies because brownies are easy for me, and I can drop them off and not have to do anything. And like, Lee, you always sign up for the brownies. Oh, yeah, because yep. I'm the first one ever into the Google Doc, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so... I'm not show. I don't show up for you know the setup and the takedown because you know people who are late they get stuck. So I tell all my parents, all my employees who are parents, make sure you're reading your school emails whenever they come through. So um, the 
the boundary is, I think, twofold. One is what is the what is the work at hand and what could happen? So for instance, we work with some food companies. Well, food companies, that's a twenty four seven job, sometimes during the year. Right. right. Sometimes like maybe there's a, a recall. There's a recall right um, now. I mean, there's recall every day, right? And in, in Canada, actually, the rules are even tighter than they are in America for, for yep. food recalls. Well, a food recall, that is a, that's, you can't do anything about the fact that someone ate something that got you sick and it happened to happen on a weekend, right? But that's not going to happen every day. Right. That's not going to happen every weekend. So wonder, understanding what are the episodes, where would you need flexibility because the weekend is the weekend. And we really try the, our hardest not to have to not to work on the weekends. But damage control is damage control. Like, yeah, you keep doing about that, right? Right. So, number one, like, what is the... Let's set some expectations every day. When something, when something extraordinary happens, what does that change from our expectation? Because when something extraordinary happens, it causes us to have to switch. People need... Everyone needs to understand what that switch requires. That's number one. Number two is, okay, so our goal is... Um, Really, from a client relation perspective, we don't want our clients thinking that uh, we're going to respond after 7 p.m., that they can just count on us to work 24-7 around the clock because they were lazy. Well, yeah, and, and it's very, I mean, I'm sure that anyone listening to this, when you send an email, it's not just the contents of the email, it's whatever's in the subject line. If it shows the time, then you've set a precedent, and a that's precedent. very clear. Exactly. And so I, first, I don't want anyone sending client emails unless we're in an emergency situation after, you know, really 6 p.m. Right. Because that's setting the expect one that tells the client, that might tell the client you're lazy and you're just not managing your time where you couldn't get it done during the regular day. Right. Mm -hmm. And number two, it tells them that you're available. Oh, he's still there. Let me give a call. Yeah. Right. Yep. I know one more thing, you know, before you leave. So just what not only does the work reflect on you, but the time reflects on you it, on that it, kind of thing. It also gets you, to, it also puts you in the position where you have choice of when, when you get to see what, how they react to it. Exactly. So, so if you've got someone that like, even though you don't send email after six, if you've got people that are still doing it, then that's where, you know, in your case, someone come to you and say, hey, look, you know, so-and-so is consistently sending me emails and the after hours, and now they're getting volatile. They're getting, you know, yeah. that sets up a present that you can say, okay, you know what, either... We, we have to look at this and I either step in and say, you know, this is not acceptable or B, you just cut off the relationship completely and say we're no longer going to work with you because you're yeah. you're not willing to adhere to our expectations. Which I've done. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Sure. I'm sure you have. But I love the fact that you've been and I think people can do this. And, and, and I don't think I mean, you're the boss. So you get to say, hey, everyone, I'm giving you permission to do this. But mm -hmm. people can do this on their own initially. Absolutely. They don't need permission. They can now they no. can, now they should test the waters. I mean, their situation might be completely different, but I think this is where quantitative and qualitative come into into, into play. Where you say in point 1, you know, Use time delay if you're going to send the email between huh? six and eight. Well, that's that's 6 p.m. and yeah, 8 a.m. Yeah, 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, good point. 6 p.m. and 8 a.m. Um that's clear. That you can't get any clearer than that. If no. if you say don't answer emails in the evening, well, when does the evening begin? What time? Right. Like you need to be very specific oh. about it because it allows you to to hold to it. It's and specific in your own time zone, right? Because we have totally. teams over the country, and actually, we have you know some people in Europe. So, I mean, be true to your time zone is fine. Sure. Right? Don't but, think because the thing about this the, the email email. Is a, 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 I love email. It's an awesome tool. I have some tools that help me use my email, right? But it helps basically email um, creates the expectation that someone else's priorities become your priorities. Yep. 
right? And, um, and how do you set boundaries around that so that's not true? Well, first, it's understanding what does the day look like for that? You know, the team is the first piece. The, your team is number one. So if you have to go to a ballet lesson at two o'clock on Thursday and your team needs something done by five, well, your part of it then needs to move way earlier than that ballet lesson, right? That's your responsibility. If it doesn't work for the team, it doesn't work for you, period. So we do a lot of that. And that does it only takes, it only really takes one or two times for someone, um, if at all, to someone say, oh yeah, I screwed up, right? Because no one wants to, we don't want to let other people down. No. And then the second piece is to understand that, yeah, I'm working late. I have many things going on in my life. And sometimes I, you know, I have a board meeting, I'm on three board, you know, that kind of stuff. So I might be catching up to the work that I had hoped, you know, in a regular day would have gotten done by six, six well, o'clock. Well, you're writing a book. That's a classic a example. Book. I mean, exactly. I, I write my book from 10 p.m. to midnight is some of my best yeah. writing time. Right. Uh, I'm not sending an email at that time because if I right. do, then then I've I've basically – uh, like I haven't blocked out the time I'm using the exactly. time dishonestly. Or, you know, I say I am going to I'm going to catch up on my other work so that tomorrow morning when everybody comes in, they have the stuff they need from me. Right. It may happen from 10 to 12. But you're but you're not going to give that indicate. No one needs to know that. But I'm not going to indicate that at all. Yeah. Right? It's I, not it's not the burden of me working late, because particularly for a boss. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you say don't send me an email, I'm not going to look at it. If you send emails in 10 to 12. You're setting a precedent like that. That person values extra work. No, that that's interpretation that someone may or may not have. Right. Right. So I'm very specific about that. And, you know, I, I I'm bad at it because I have to I have a big sticky on my computer. Time delay. Time delay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. You know, and, and that and that to me is 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 important because what again, if you were to um, say, all right, again, let's say you sent that email you are the message you're sending isn't just I'm up, but now you're saying as the boss, if I'm doing this, then th- and again, they, you're not saying this implicitly. You're not even saying this at all. But someone could interpret that as, Absolutely. well, if she's doing it, then I better be. Well, and that's how office politics happen, right? Totally. Because the imp- the you know, I I never unless we're in a critical situation where okay, every, I need someone on the I need someone. Who's going to do the 12 to 4 a.m. shift, right? Because we have – sometimes we have to say that, mm-hmm. right? First – and number one, I'm the first – always try to be the first one to volunteer for that. So I'm setting the precedent that I will do that work. I'm not just having other people do that that terrible shift, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often. But, you know, one, sometimes we need to have that. But the – unless – to make sure you're explaining this extraordinary event, right? But the office politics happen around – I know she values that because she's up and doing that. So I'm going to do that and create this pressure. And then, and then you just see it just fall apart. Right. Right. Because someone, not because they're mean, not, be, but they're, they're assertive and they're ambitious. Right. right. And they read in particularly ambitious people who want to get ahead fast and all that kind of stuff, which I am one of those people. I mean, I, I've got, you know, I elevated really fast in my career. Um, this is really sort of before email. That's how old I am. But you know, you take the cues and you you follow their leads, and then before you know it, someone hates you because she's the teacher's pet. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. No. No. It creates. It, it creates. And it's not intended. It's but not intended. It's, but it, but like with anything else, you bring humans into the equation. Emotion yeah. comes in, and exactly. that, and that's not. I mean, it's not always logical, right? So, well, and there's nothing productive about emotion. No, 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 no. Well, 
Actually, it's, unless it's fun. Well, it, I, 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 it, 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 there's nothing. There's nothing positive about. It. There's nothing productive about negative emotions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're aware of the emotions, then then they can they can serve you. But it's what you do with them that that decides how productive Definitely. they're going to be. Right? Well, you know what, Lee, this has been awesome, uh, and, and I really want to thank you for joining me this week on the show. Where can people find you and your work online so that way we can uh, we they can continue the conversation and also like get some of those really cool uh, downloads that you have? Um, the best place to reach me is on my uh, website, which is uh, LeeCarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Lee Carraher. Um, and from those places, you can get to my agency, my book, my tools, my blog posts, everything like that. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me this week on the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. There you have it. You can find everything that we talked about, all the relevant show notes, uh, links rather, in the show notes. Uh, We had a lot to discuss, and I had a great time. I'm going to have Lee on the show again in the future when her new book comes out, because there's a lot more gold that we can mine that's in there as well. Uh, If you wanted to hear more of this episode, there's a good 15 additional minutes that the Patreon supporters of the Productivities Podcast get. And they get this every single week. They get additional content every single week. Head over to patreon.com slash productivityist. Check it out and see all the perks that are offering and support the show monetarily if you can. If you cannot, then please rate the show, review the show in iTunes or in Stitcher Radio or wherever you're listening to your podcast because it will help me make the show better. It'll also help my producer, John Polster, out who does a fantastic job so he can help me make the show better. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Lee Carraher for joining me. Thanks to all of you for joining me. And until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the founder of Productivityist and the host of this very podcast, Productivityist Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. <laughs> <laughs>